get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on a new week on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jeweler. A lot coming your way this morning. Chris Kerber will join us at 815. Joe Buck will preview the World Series at 915. And at 10 o'clock, we will air the Cardinal Press Conference live, at which they are going to name Oliver Marmol as their new manager. Michelle, good morning to you. How you doing? I'm doing well, Randy. Good morning. How are you? Everything's great, and it'll be interesting to get the general reaction of fans throughout the course of the morning, and we want you to weigh in with the mic drop feature, the Rhino Shield mic drop, with the 101 ESPN app. Or you can text us throughout the morning and give us your take on the Cardinals hiring of Oliver Marmol as their next manager to replace Mike Schilt. The move was not announced, but it was the story was broken last night by The Athletic and by Jeff Passan of ESPN and Derek Gould and the gang over at STLToday.com right after the Cardinals had called a 10 o'clock press conference. And nobody is surprised by this, but I am intrigued, A, to... Find out what's going to prevent the Cardinals from having philosophical differences with this manager that they had with the others. And then I want to see, Michelle, how the club with the majority of their key players older than Oliver Marmol, how do they react to being managed at least on the field by him? You know, Randy, one other thing I'm curious about, it seems like ever since we got the news that the Cardinals were parting ways with Mike Schilt, it seems like Oliver Marmol's name came to the forefront and that he was always kind of the guy that it seems like the Cardinals had had targeted for this position. I'm curious how many other people they interviewed. How many people did they look for outside the organization to see if they might be a fit or was this always the path they were going to take and the search wasn't that extensive? I can't imagine that it would have been that extensive and perhaps they talked to Skip Schumacher but they had last week essentially to do those interviews and if they already had in mind that Oliver Marmol was going to be the guy they may have just had cursory interviews courtesy interviews with certain people like when they hired Mike Matheny they had a, a essentially a courtesy interview with Terry Francona but he knew right then during the interview that he wasn't going to get the job so my guess would be that they probably had those but they knew from the time that he left Mar- that she left that Marmol was going to be their guy almost just like when Tony retired they knew that Mike Matheny was going to be their guy 
I'm curious how fans are feeling about this selection as the next Cardinals manager, because even though Oliver Marmol is extremely well regarded within the organization, a very sharp guy, a good baseball mind, he's been with the Cardinals. He was the bench coach for the past two seasons, and I'm wondering if fans are okay with that, if this is a path that a lot of fans would want to take is someone that was within the family, or if they're looking at this and saying maybe they, they should have gone elsewhere. But either way, it's going to be interesting to see what the Cardinals say about this today, and excited to see what Oliver Marmol has to say after he's officially announced as the Cardinals manager. And one thing that I want to ask Michelle is how much autonomy does the Cardinal manager really have? We have Dave Roberts, who is the defending World Series manager, saying, look, I have one vote here. It's not my decision. I can't imagine that the Cardinals are much different than the Dodgers. So while he has the title and he might wind up being a good manager, my question would be, at the end of the day, does it really make any difference who has the job? Because that person is going to be given his direction by the front office. So whether it is Skip Schumacher, unless you hire a, a manager to manage, like a, a Bruce Bochy or a Buck Showalter, does it really make an awful lot of difference? This is a question I have. Who the Cardinal manager is at this stage of baseball? It doesn't really seem like it does, Randy, and especially for someone like Oliver Marmol, who's been in the organization and had a front row seat to the way things played out with Mike Schilt. I would think entering this situation, the lines are very clear, that he knows what is going to happen, who he's going to have to essentially take orders from, or at least who's going to have influence in decisions and how those conversations are going to go, because John Mosley said it wasn't about the win-loss record for Mike Schilt. It was philosophical differences. So for Oliver Marmol to now assume this position, he knows the deal. He can read the room and understand who's essentially going to be in charge when it comes down to it. A text from the 636 right off the bat. Marmol is fine, may end up great, but there's no excitement with this hire. And each Cardinal managerial hire is more underwhelming than the previous one. And I look at that as the way baseball is. When the Giants brought in Gabe Kapler, who had been kind of a disaster with Philadelphia. Really an underwhelming hire. When the Dodgers brought in Dave Roberts, when the Braves gave Brian Snitker the job, it was a lot like when Mike Schilt was given the job here. Uh, if we go through, I mean, uh, how many teams right now, when they hired their manager, was the fan base really fired up about? Maybe, well, the White Sox fans weren't fired up about Tony, were they? Maybe no. Cleveland and, and, and Francona and Detroit, I would guess, with A.J. Hinch, but I can't imagine that they were thrilled in KC when they when they hired Mike or when the Twins hired Rocco Bar Baldelli. The Cubs, David Ross, only because he had been a part of their world championship team, but he's kind of in the same boat. David Bell, kind of underwhelming. I would think Craig Council was probably underwhelming when Milwaukee hired him. Pittsburgh, I, I don't see many hires, perhaps Joe Girardi in Philly. I don't see many major league hires where I, I would think the fan base said, yeah, we got the guy that's going to lead us to the World Series. That's a great point. Even with Tony La Russa, I think a lot of people in St. Louis didn't understand the consternation coming out of Chicago fans during that time because Tony has the pedigree. We know he, he's capable of building and leading a championship team, and they didn't like him there. They still don't like him there, even though he took him to the postseason. He could have won a World Series there, Randy, and I don't think they still would have liked Tony La Russa and the White Sox yep. Nation. I'm with you. The Blues are back in action tonight. You'll hear the action at 6 o'clock with the pregame 7 o'clock faceoff against the Kings again here on 101 ESPN.
ESPN. On Saturday night, the Blues got their home season started with a 7-3 route of Los Angeles. Our guy, David Perron, with a big game. As a matter of fact, he had a hat trick, and this is the way he scored his last goal. Tarasenko then to Tori Krug. Krug down to Perron. Perron to Tarasenko. Ellie knocked the stick wide. And the puck now straight away. Krug cycles down the right wing on the power play. Stops in the corner and passes behind the net to Shen. Back from Krug to Tarasenko. Way out high. Then to Krug. Krug again now. Skeets all the way up to the blue line. Wheels it in front. Far side. Perron a shot. Peterson there in time. Good stick check by Perron. O'Reilly frees it up for Tarasenko. Shooting it on and a save by Peterson. The puck cleared, not out by the Kings. Krug with a play to keep it in. Tarasenko to Perron. He scores! Another one-timer by David Perron. And if you've got a hat, chuck it in your radio. An opening night hat trick for David Perron. And the St. Louis Blues take seven to three lead over the LA Kings 820 to go in period number three and Michelle was cool you had the full house for the first time since the uh, pandemic started you had David Perron who he told us last week he was close to not being able to play in the opener at Colorado he plays in this opener and gets a hat trick and the Blues now four and oh and leading the division an unbelievable start for the Blues. It was a great scene at Enterprise Center. And Randy, it's really exciting to watch this team. I love the depth that they have. And it just, it's just, it's a great look for the Blues right now. And another morning show bump for our guy David Perron with the hat trick. Absolutely. And the Blues and Kings tonight, 6 o'clock pregame with Alex Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Tomorrow night, the World Series will get underway. It'll be the Houston Astros against the Atlanta Braves. And I know we're all excited and waiting with uh, anticipation for a Houston-Atlanta World Series. Yeah, how do you feel about this, Randy? I mean, I'm excited for Dusty Baker. I I really like that he's got yet another shot at this, but it's hard for me to cheer for Dusty Baker when he's managing the Astros. I'm ambivalent because I want Dusty to win, but if Freddie Freeman, who's a great guy, if he wins a World Series and the Braves win the World Series with the same sort of approach that the Cardinals had, at least with Mike Schilt in the dugout and taking an organizational guy and winning, I think that'll hopefully give us a little bit of hope that an organizational guy can be the guy that you win with. Yeah, for sure. But I I think that Dusty Baker is one of uh, the last men standing as far as that's concerned. I don't know. It could be Dusty Baker. It could be Tony La Russa. I don't know if that's going to change the tides within baseball to go with a, a manager that's going to have some say in pedigree like Dusty Baker. I think it, we are seeing more of the Oliver Marmol trend throughout yeah. baseball, and I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. No, and the, it, there's only one guy that you root for with – the Astros and that's Dusty but he does have more wins without a world championship than any other manager and so hopefully he'll be able to get that that victory. Uh, finally, NFL yesterday, the Miami Dolphins Tua brings the Dolphins back to within, uh, well, he gives them the lead in the closing moments, fourth touchdown pass of the day, but then Atlanta, Matty Ice, brings Atlanta back and they kick the game-winning field goal at the end. So, the Dolphins have now won, lost five in a row and apparently Beefalo's in trouble. Beefalo's in trouble. Is Tua still in trouble? Do you think Deshaun Watson is still looming for Miami? I would think that... It, 
the fact that he threw four touchdown passes doesn't make any difference. My guess is is that uh, they they want a different guy. I, I think that. Stephen Ross, my impression is is that Stephen Ross is just like a fan. And right now his favorite quarterback is probably the backup quarterback. And he's probably hoping that they get a new quarterback. And then that flavor of the day will wear out and they won't win a Super Bowl. And he'll move on to the next thing. I don't even know if they won that game if it would have changed to his fortunes in Miami. And it's just so shocking to me that they're ready to pull the plug on him so quickly. This was a guy that you were enamored with coming out of college just uh, a year and a half ago. And now because of injuries and, and granted he's not been lighting the world on fire but it just seems like he's getting no leeway whatsoever he's got no rope here what's it say for your organization if you essentially even well before you drafted him you traded a bunch of people to tank for Tua yeah that's your that was your entire season a couple of years ago now you didn't tank as badly as you wanted to but you still wound up with that guy that doesn't say much for the evaluation process as far as I'm concerned no, you'd think that those people internally would want to give him a little more time or do whatever they could to make it work there because they're the ones that evaluated him and they're the ones that wanted him so badly. And finally, the Arizona Cardinals, 7-0 and for the first time since they were here in 1974. They knocked off the uh, Houston Texans 31-5 to was the final. And Arizona, that's one thing to beat Houston, but they're legit. They're, they're a pretty good team. Yeah, they're the most exciting team in the NFL, at least for me right now. Yeah, Kyler Murray's great. DeAndre Hopkins with the touchdown yesterday. Doing a lot of things right. We are off and running on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Start one, bench one, cut one with Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. That's the Air Comfort Service text line. And, of course, if you would like to weigh in on the Cardinals' apparent hiring of Oliver Marmol, it would be a stunner if they didn't hire him at 10 o'clock. We'll hear your mic drops later on in the show, and you can just use the mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And let's get to start one, bench one, cut one. Michelle, I'm going to go recency bias here. Uh, I'm going to go flavor of the day. Start one, bench one, cut one. Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes. Very good one. And I'm going to answer recency bias. I am going to start Kyler Murray. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to bench Joe Burrow, and I'm going to cut Patrick Mahomes, which (laughs) sounds insane. But right now, recency bias, I think you have to cut Patrick Mahomes. That's what I was thinking, too. And I think I would do the same thing. And it's it's totally based on seven games this year, but uh, Patrick Mahomes is kind of scuffling. And so, yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that uh, that's the way I would go. All right, Randy, I have a quarterback start one, bench one, cut one for you. Mine are quarterbacks who have been displaced or, or quarterbacks who have been moved on from. Jared Goff, Sam Darnold, Jimmy Garoppolo. Ooh, okay. Um, I am going to... The, the start for me is easy because Jimmy Garoppolo has played in a Super Bowl and was second in the league in touchdown passes just three years ago. Goff and Darnold. Again, I'm going to go with uh, the fact that Goff has played in a Super Bowl. So I'm, I'm going to start Galop Garoppolo. I'm going to bench Goff and I'm going to reluctantly cut Sam Darnold. 
I think I'm going the same way. And I'm I'm gonna start Jimmy G because of the Super Bowl pedigree. Um, Jared Goff, same same line of thinking. Plus, I thought he was very impressive in the Lions' loss to the Rams mm-hmm. yesterday. And I'm gonna cut Sam Darnold. I actually tweeted hashtag One Pride. I was rooting so hard for the Lions <laughs> yesterday. I wanted them to win in the worst way. Me too. Me too, Randy. All right, your text six five seven eight zero. Emily, what do you have? From the 636, start one, bench one, cut one. Marmol, Schilt, Matheny. Oh, good one. Uh, okay, I'm going to go. Um, Matheny uh, managed due to a World Series. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to start Matheny, bench Schilty, and cut Marmol at this point. Same thought process here, Randy. Mike Matheny managing a World Series. Um, Mike Schultz took it to the NLCS and Oliver Marmol TBD. So you got to cut him. Yeah. From the 636, start one bench, one cut one former St. Louis teams the Orioles, the football Cardinals, or the Hawks? Okay. I'm guessing that if we would put up a Twitter poll, that more than 90% would want the big red. For sure. And I'm going to start the big red. Uh, because of the Cardinals and Cardinal Nation, I don't think we need another baseball team, so I'm going to cut the Orioles, which means I'm going to bench the Hawks. I, you know what? There might be a lot of people that would want the NBA team, but I'm going to bench the Hawks. So I'm going to start Big Red, bench Hawks, cut Orioles. I'm going to start the Hawks because I would love to have an NBA team. I'll bench Big Red, even though that's a very tough decision, and I'm with you. Cut the Orioles. Especially now. Cut the <laughs> Orioles now. They aren't that great. For sure. From the 636, start one bench, one cut one, Chicago, Dallas, Nashville. Just as cities? Yes. yes. I'm starting Chicago, I'm benching Dallas, and I'm cutting Nashville, even though Nashville's a good time. But Ch- Chicago, especially in the summer, it's tough to beat Chicago. Michelle, I'm also going to start Chicago, but I'm going to cut Dallas. I'm, I'm going to bench Nashville. Uh, and and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut Dallas. And I have a friend that lives in Dallas and likes it okay. But Dallas does have the Cowboys, so I gotta cut the Cowboys. I was gonna say you're cutting Dallas because of Jerry Jones, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> From the three one four, start one bench one cut one. Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, Marcus Semyon. Okay, this is for the Cardinals, so it's Correa, Seager, Semyon. Uh, this is. This is actually a fun exercise for Cardinal fans and probably a fruitless one, too, because mm-hmm. the Cardinals aren't going to get any of these guys. Marcus Simeon is the oldest of the group and arguably had the best year of the group. I would say that he did. But even though he did, I'm not going to go recency biased. I'm going to uh, bias. I'm going to say that I'm going to cut Simeon. Boy, both of these guys, Korea, Korea and Sager, Seager, Korea and Seager, have had a lot of injury issues. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take the guy that I think has the capability to win an MVP. I'm going to start Korea. I'm going to bench Seager, and I'm going to cut Semyon. And this is obviously very subjective, but of those three guys. I think Correa has more tools than any of them, despite the fact that he was a cheater. He did pre- he's done well alleged without allegedly cheating. I'm shocked, Randy. I thought you were going to start Corey Seager. 
because that's where I'm going. I, I want the lefty. I'm going to start Corey Seager. I'll bench Correa and cut Simeon. One thing that concerns me, and by the way, Correa very well could go the same direction, but Corey Seager could wind up being a third baseman within two or three years. He's a, he's a big guy, 6'5", 220. He's been hurt a lot. And I don't know if he'll be able to maintain that shortstop range for the long term. I love him. I love him. I think he's great. I'd take him on my team, but I would. I think I would take Correa. From the three one four start one bench one cut one. Mark Bolger, Chris Miller, Tony Banks. Um. Okay. Uh, I wasn't fair to Mark Bolger when he was here. Uh, because he was following Kurt. You don't want to be the guy that follows the guy, right? And Mark was. But Mark was a really good NFL quarterback until they quit trying and never had an offensive line for him. And he was was just demolished as a quarterback. I am going to start Bulger. Chris Miller and Tony Banks both had great skills. While Tony Banks was here, he didn't have much maturity or leadership while Chris Miller did, although he did suffer the concussion and only played, what, 11 or 12 games here. But I'm going to go Bulger start, Miller bench, Banks cut. Mark Bulger did not get enough love while he was here. And he went through it in St. Louis. But you're right, he was a really good quarterback, so I'm going to start Mark Bulger. I think I might bench Tony Banks and cut Chris Miller. Hey, Dick Vermeil might go with you. DV, <laughs> he, he said, hey, he's got that playoff profile. I just can't get past the fact that Tony Banks stayed in Miami for his girlfriend's birthday party after the Rams lost there. So, and while I didn't think it was bad, I think most people, if you text in 65780, most people would agree that bringing his uh, dog felony to training camp probably wasn't the most mature activity for a quarterback either. Well, Urban Meyer didn't take the team playing home, Randy, and he still has a job. That's true. And Tony kept his job for a while, but both of them record-wise are pretty much in the same place. (laughs) From the 314, start one, bench one, cut one, ignoring the contracts. Tarasenko, Kairou, Thomas. Okay. Um, Well... You know Vladdy can be, has been at least, a 35-goal score, but he's also almost 30. Michelle, I think I would go, and this sounds incongruous, I still think that the best player of that group from five years from now is going to be Robert Thomas. I'm going to go Thomas, Kairou, Tarasenko. Start Thomas, bench Kairou, cut Tarasenko. I'm going to start Jordan Kairou. I like the the speed i love the skill i love the upside so i'm gonna start jordan cairo i'm gonna bench robert thomas and i'm gonna cut vladimir tarasenko even though we know what he's capable of i'm not going out of those three gonna pick the guy who's had the longest injury history that's michelle she's on remote today by the way i'm randy great to have you with us on 101 espn coming up a lot going on with the cardinals and around baseball we have cardinals news and notes coming your way on 101 espn we're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The St. Louis 
Cardinals were the last team to fire a manager that did so this offseason. The Mets and Padres also fired their managers. And the Cardinals will be the first team to hire a replacement. This morning at 10 o'clock, they're scheduled to introduce Oliver Marmol as their new manager. He replaces Mike Schilt. And we will probably not find out who else the Cardinals interviewed this morning, but I would have to imagine that they did interview Stubby Clapp and Michelle. Uh, my guess would be that if there was somebody from the outside, it was Skip Schumacher, but this was Oliver Marmol's job to win. And if he aced the interview, he was going to be the guy drafted by the Cardinals in 2007 and joined their coaching staff four years later. He's been a member of the coaching staff now for the last decade, obviously has spent the last few years here as a coach with whether at first base for the last couple of years as Mike Schilt's uh, bench coach. And obviously he's a guy that the players know, but, and I think the key here is going to be Yadier Molina. Is he a guy that is respected by the people in that clubhouse? I don't think it matters with Adam Wainwright. I think Adam Wainwright is respectful of everybody. We know that Nolan Arenado just wants to win. He, he's just got a built-in competitiveness that you don't have to worry about. Yachty has that too, but we also have seen, especially on social media, that if Yachty isn't on board with what a manager is doing or what he perceives a manager is doing, because it might be the front office, he has a tendency to kind of go off the ranch a little bit and and say things or, or be negative about a manager's decisions. That's my only real concern is how is the 39-year-old Yachty going to accept the 35-year-old Marmol? Age is a question for me too, Randy. He's 35 and he's going to be the youngest active manager in Major League Baseball. And that's a really interesting position to be in when you're entering this spot as the Cardinals manager. And not only are these players, a lot of a lot of them, your peers, some of them are older than you. And some of them have had more experience at the Major League level than you have. But I know that they probably, speaking of Wayno and Yachty, already obviously have a relationship with Oliver Marmol. And they understand the deal, Randy. They know how this went down with Mike Schilt, and I think that they know the position that Oliver Marmol is in and the influence that the front office is going to have in certain decisions. And I wonder if that helps Ali Marmol in those situations with guys like Yadier Molina or perhaps Adam Wainwright. When they know that things are coming above him, he's almost in a, a different position because it's not necessarily his fault. Um, but I also think it might be in his favor when it comes to something like that with Yadier Molina, knowing that this is Yadier's last season. Yes, he certainly still wants to win, but it's going to take on a different tone, I think, for Yachty, uh, knowing that it's probably one year and done. He could always change his mind, but it seems like that's still the case. But that is that is an interesting position to be put in when you're 35, you're fresh on the job, and you know when you walk into that clubhouse, even though you have pre-existing relationships with these players, they're older than you. And sometimes a manager takes over a, a team most of the time, when a manager takes over a team, the expectations aren't extraordinary. Whoever gets the Padres job, they're going to have really high expectations. My expectation here of the 2022 Cardinals is that they should be able to win the World Series. And first-year managers and second-year managers have done it. We saw Davey Martinez do it as a second-year manager with Washington. We saw Alex Cora do it in his first year with Boston in 2018. And... There are no excuses here. You have built this team to win now. And if it doesn't, 
he's going to be part of the process. Now, we know that he's not going to be the guy that is completely to blame, but the people that have purchased tickets to watch this team, the people that have bought TV rights to air this team, they have an expectation now that this team is going to be in and win the World Series. And if he doesn't win it, then Oliver Marmol is going to be part of the problem. Which organization do you think has more pressure on them to win now, the Padres or the Cardinals? I think the Cardinals do because the Padres have never won a World Series. They don't. Their fans, yes, they'd like to win one, but I can't imagine that in San Diego they have the sense of entitlement that Cardinal fans do. They go out and they say, hey, let's go watch Machado and Tatis play. Cardinal fans are saying, hey, let's go watch a winner. And they expect to be playing in October. And whether it's fair or not is immaterial to this conversation. The fact of the matter is they they do feel entitled and they do want a championship. And there is, as we see every morning here on this show, there is a lot of disdain for the Pope. And the pressure's on him as well. I think the pressure is squarely on John Mozeliak as well. The Cardinals went out and got Nolan Arenado last season. Adam Wainwright had an unbelievable year. You know that the, the clock is ticking on Yachty. And when the Cardinals were playing bad baseball, people still didn't show up to the ballpark. There's really nothing that's a novelty anymore for Cardinals fans. They want to see a good quality product, and they want to see a winner. And I think John Mozeliak going out and making this move and getting rid of Mike Schilt has put the spotlight directly on him. And if the Cardinals don't come out and they don't feel the competitive team and or they're not deeper into the postseason than they were the past two years, I think a lot of pressure is going to come down, maybe externally. I don't know internally if he's going to face the same rigors, but externally from the fans, I think a lot of heat's going to be cranked up on Mo. Michelle, a lot of intrigue surrounding Jordan Hicks as he went to the Arizona Fall League because he basically has not pitched since June of 2019. Basically, he, uh, the day I got my tattoo was the day the Cardinals announced that Jordan Hicks was going to have Tommy John surgery. So that's the last time he's pitched. Didn't pitch the rest of the 2019 season. Didn't pitch in 2020 at all. He opted out didn't pitch in 2021 and now Rob Raines reports at his website that uh, Jordan Hicks has left his assignment to the Arizona Fall League four and two-thirds innings he uh, went two and two-thirds in his last start and allowed three runs and apparently says I'm good and decides that he's going to spend a quiet off season. I would think this is a guy that needs to pitch. I can't imagine that the Cardinals are happy with the fact that he threw four and two-thirds innings in the Arizona Fall League and then said, yeah, I just want to have a relaxed offseason. Well, the first thing I thought, Randy, was did he potentially re-injure himself or is he not feeling good physically? And I know when John Mozeliak said that Jordan Hicks felt he was where he needed to be, he decided that he wanted to have a quiet offseason. He also added that there was no new injury concern for Jordan Hicks because I think that's where a lot of people's minds initially went. But if he's feeling good physically and if he's going to come back to the Cardinals and if they're potentially toying with the idea of trying to stretch him out as a starter or develop him in that way, I'm with you i think that he should pitch more or i would think he would at least want to pitch more at the end of the day don't you want to just see a guy compete that's what yeah. i want I, I want to see a, a, a pro athlete especially one who's coming back from an injury and the cardinals have said hey we want to stretch you out to be a starter i want to see him stretch out to be a starter and i want to see him pitch against other guys can you imagine adam wainwright being given an opportunity to compete against other guys and not taking it no i cannot 
or Nolan Arnato or Paul no. Goldschmidt or Yadier Molina. Right. And then we want to get back to the Padres for just a moment, Michelle, because they apparently reportedly interviewed Mike Schilt over the course of the weekend. But they're also interested in former Tigers and Angels manager Brad Ausmus. They're interested, at least the name has been floated, of Mike Sosha and... Apparently, Bruce Bochy has not shown an awful lot of interest in that job, but they aren't strictly zeroing in on a guy with no experience. There are guys that have a ton of winning experience that A.J. Preller apparently is going to talk to. Well, when you have a team like the Padres, where you have a lot of young stars and uh, you need to win now, wouldn't you want to look externally for, for guys who have won? I think it's interesting that they've expanded their search to include so many veteran managers. And I wonder if Cardinals fans, even though they know that's not the path the Cardinals want to take, would have liked to see them at least look externally for some managers who have done it before. I think that with San Diego... It's kind of different than the the Cardinals. Well, maybe not. Well, the Cardinals at least have guys that have championship experience in Wainwright and Molina. There's something to be said for being able to handle a clubhouse. And you just don't know if a young, inexperienced manager is going to be able to, to handle what appears to be a pretty volatile clubhouse in San Diego. The Cardinal clubhouse appeared to handle itself with the leadership that they have. I don't know that the Padres clubhouse is one that at least in terms of getting it to win and succeed handles itself very well, as we saw with the argument that Machado and Tatis had here in St. Louis down the stretch. That's a pretty volatile situation there. And they might need somebody that has more, uh, not an iron fist, but has more ability to relate to high-priced players. That's why Mike Schilt might be the guy for them, or at least a very intriguing prospect for them, because he's dealt with a lot of up and down circumstances here in St. Louis. Let's not forget what happened in 2020 where the Cardinals were locked up because of COVID and he still was able to take them to the postseason. But he's dealt with fiery personalities before. And what fans disliked about Mike Schultz is what a lot of players appreciated about him, which was his even keel and his positive demeanor. And if you're dealing with a volatile situation in the clubhouse, maybe having a calming presence or someone that is always going to look out for the players and take the bullets publicly is exactly what they need. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 101 ESPN, the Cardinal Press Conference, announcing Oliver Marmol as their new manager coming up at 10 o'clock live here on 101 ESPN. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Welcome your texts to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Take It or Leave It. And then at the top of the hour, we want your reaction to the Cardinals promotion of Oliver Marmol to manager. We'll air the press conference at 10 o'clock. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And Michelle, I'll get things started. The Cincinnati Bengals now at 5-2 atop the AFC North. Take it or leave it. You're rooting harder for the Bengals to emerge from the morass that they've been in over the last 20 years than the Browns to do the same thing. Ooh, that's a really good one. And I think I'm going to take it just because I really like Joe Burrow and I think he's a star. I think he's going to be one of the stars in the league. And the Browns have had their opportunities. They've they've been putting together a team and building for a while. And it just doesn't seem like 
they've, they've quite gotten there yet. So I think I'm cheering more for Joe Burrow and the Bengals than I am the Browns, even though they are a factory of sadness. This is really unfair of me. I'm doing the same thing because I, I feel more of a kinship, strangely, with Bengals fans than I do with Browns fans. And heck, we were all terrible. And the Browns tied us for the worst five-year record in the history of the league. But maybe maybe it's just because we're both river towns and we play in the same division in baseball. But I... I for some reason, feel closer to Bengals fans. And I'm rooting harder for the Bengals to, not by a whole lot, but I, I would rather see the Bengals succeed than the Browns would too. Randy, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Chicago Bears yesterday. During the game, Tom Brady became the first player in NFL history to have thrown 600 touchdown passes in his career. He finished the day bringing his touchdown total to 602. Take it or leave it, Tom Brady gets to 700. Ooh, okay. So he leads the NFL this year already. So he's probably going to get 18 more, get up to 620. I'm going to, so he would need 80 more after this season. I'm going to leave it, and I have no idea why. Maybe because he's 44, but I, I, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to say he doesn't get to 700. But Randy, he says he can play until he's 50. 700 should be well within reach. On the commercial, he tells Giselle, we've already talked about this, 10 more years. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, would it surprise me if he did it? No, but I'm just going to I'm going to play the odds here. And I, we've been playing the odds and he's been challenging them and and just pushing them aside now for a decade. But I'm just going to play the odds and say that he doesn't. All right, your tech 65780. Emily, what do you have for us? From the 618, take it or leave it, the Chiefs miss the playoffs. I'm going to take it. Michelle, they're in last place, or actually, yeah, tied with Denver at three and four for last place in that division. And if you look at the conference standings right now, they've, they've got real problems there. Kansas City is behind. I'll say it quickly. Bengals, Raiders, Titans, Ravens, Bills, Chargers, Browns, Steelers, Patriots, Colts. And they still have some tough games on their schedule. They have to face the Packers. They have to face the Cowboys, the, the Chargers. Um, they're going to see the Raiders twice. I think I'm going to take it, too. They've got some real issues, and I don't see them turning around. They have uh, next weekend, or no, in two weekends, they've got the Giants. A bye week coming up, they're, they've got the Giants at home. And then you mentioned the gauntlet. Packers at home, at Raiders, Cowboys at home, Broncos at home, and that's always tough for them. Raiders at home, at Chargers, Steelers at home, at Bengals, and then end up at Broncos. They don't have an easy mark after that Giants game. From the 618, take it or leave it, this is the deepest Blues team ever in the forward position. I'm going to take it. If it's, if it's not, they're tied for first, or they're 1A and 1B. They're incredibly deep at the forward position right now. Yeah, they had, in 80-81, they had 10 20-goal scorers, and Wayne Babich had 54. They, the, their top line was really good, and then the other guys were just 20-goal scorers. Pedersen, I guess, scored 30, but 
I don't think that they had this sort of top-end talent. You don't have an O'Reilly, a Perron, a Shen, uh, a Kairou, and then what Butchnevich could conceivably be, uh, a Robert Thomas. There's a really high ceiling for this group, and they don't even have Oscar Sundquist back yet. So once he comes back, that'll even add to the depth. But yeah, from 1 to 12 or 1 to 14, I would say that this is the deepest group that I've seen the Blues have. From the 314, take it or leave it, Mizzou wins an SEC championship at some point during Luther Burden's time at Mizzou. I'm going to leave that, Michelle, because Nick Saban's still going to be around. <laughs> Yeah, and who knows who LSU is going to go out and get too. And George is yeah. going to be there. So um, I'm going to leave it, even though I think Drink will have them in, in a competitive position. Yeah, I agree. From the 314, take it or leave it, the Cardinals win at least 95 games and win the division under Marmol. I'm going to leave that because I'm still concerned, Michelle, and obviously this is before free agency starts and before the trade season starts, I'm still concerned about the health of the starting rotation. Uh, Adam Wainwright's going to be 40, is 40. He's going to pitch his year, uh, his age 40 season. It's hard to stay healthy when you're a 40-year-old pro, pro athlete. It's been a long time since Jack Flaherty has pitched a full season for the Cardinals. It's been a long time since Miles Michaelis has. Uh, hard to imagine that they can count on Dakota Hudson for a ton of innings or Alex Reyes or whoever another starter might be. I just don't believe they have the depth in starting pitching to be a 95-win team. Do you think they'll win the division, though? Part two of that. Because the way I look at it, I think that they certainly should be still competing to win the division. Yes, and they they should be because their offense is better than Milwaukee's. Cincinnati, they're kind of in a similar situation with their starting pitching. The Pirates aren't going to be even close, and it, the Cubs are too far away. So it's the Reds, Cardinals, and Brewers, and yes, theoretically the Cardinals should be the best of that group. I hope so. From the 573, take it or leave it, Patrick Mahomes, although good, was or is a huge product product of his environment, and the Chiefs will regret the contract. Mm, interesting question. I'm going to leave it. I still think he's the best thrower of the football I've ever seen. Now, has he been has he benefited with Kelsey and uh, and uh, uh, the the wide receiver number ten? Uh, Hill, Tyreek Hill. Has he benefited from those guys being there? Absolutely. But I do see him as a guy that, in my opinion, is going to elevate the talent around him. They've won with different running backs. They saw Sammy Watkins leave, and they still are pretty solid. Every quarterback that is great benefits from his surroundings. So it's not all Patrick Mahomes, but I don't think they'll regret that contract. As a matter of fact, Michelle, I would say that because they have the Super Bowl championship, that contract is worth it. I'm with you. I think that Patrick Mahomes is unbelievably talented. I think the way that he's able to improvise and make plays happen on the fly, throws that should never be made, Patrick Mahomes can make them. He's magic at times. And 
I don't think that the Chiefs will ever regret that contract. I think that what he's probably produced from them from a financial standpoint will far outweigh during that time what they're paying him. And I always I always look at it like this. If you take Patrick Mahomes off the Chiefs and put him on the Lions, you don't think the Lions are going to be better? There you you go. don't think he's going to make people on the Lions better? Of course he is. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And he has lifted people like Pringle and Mecole Hardman. They're better. Demetrius Robinson, Demarcus Robinson, those guys are are better than they would be if they had Jared Goff as their quarterback. So he does elevate those around him. Thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up on 101 ESPN, how do you feel about the Cardinals' decision to go with Oliver Marmol as the new manager to replace Mike Schilt? Your mic drops, your texts at 65780 next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The Blues host the Kings tonight. We have the pregame for you at 6 o'clock with Alex Ferrario and then Chris Kerber and Joey Vitale have the call at 7. And oh, by the way, Kerbs will join us coming up in about 15 minutes here on 101 ESPN. Right now, though, we want your mic drops and your text 65780. What is your take on the Cardinals hiring of Oliver Marmol as their new manager to replace Mike Schilt? And Michelle, None of us know how it's going to work out. No, none of us know how he's going to handle a clubhouse, lead a group. But one of the one of the problems that I have, and it's not really a problem, one of the questions I have is how is he going to be able to handle a veteran group? You never know how somebody's going to be able to handle a veteran group. Now, he's managed in the minors successfully for the Cardinals, and the Cardinals' young players know him and know of him. But the most important players on the Cardinals are guys like Arenado, Goldschmidt, Flaherty, Wainwright, Molina. Are those players going to be accepting of his leadership and are, are they going to respect that leadership when they pretty well know that it's the front office that's making the calls? My biggest question is, this is someone that was within the organization, was a Mike Schilt guy. This was someone that Mike Schilt had high praise for when we thought Mike Schilt was going to get a contract extension. And there were reports that the entire coaching staff was going to get extensions to come back, that they were in discussions. I think the question mark was Ali Marmol. Will he potentially get a job elsewhere? I think it was looked at like he was going to be a manager at some point, but just not necessarily with the the Cardinals right now, because we assume Mike Schilt would be coming back. But my question question, Randy, is how different is his philosophy compared to Mike Schilt? And this was somebody that was on Mike Schilt's staff that worked in sync with him and that Mike Schilt clearly has a lot of reverence for. How different is their philosophy? And what is it about Ali Marmol that makes John Moselock and Bill DeWitt so sure that the philosophical differences are not there with him. And one of the questions that I want to ask during the course of the press conference later this morning is in their due diligence over the course of the last week, have they reached a comfort level that his evolution, the evolution of Ali Marmol, will not lead to the same sorts of differences philosophically that Mike Schultz had with them. And I think that's a fair question. Did has 
there been something that led you to believe that the same thing that happened with Mike Schilt over the course of three years won't happen with Ali Marmol over the course of three years? Your text, 65780. Michelle, what do we have? From the 636, Matheny, Schilt, and now Marmol. These three inexperienced managers are expected to lead the ball club to the World Series. I wish the Cardinals would have considered a more experienced manager. Well, I don't necessarily disagree with that because I'm a proponent of having managers that have experience. Brian Snitker didn't have any major league managerial experience, and he's headed to the World Series right now. Last year's World Series championship manager, Dave Roberts, didn't have any before he took over the Dodgers. The year before that, Dave Martinez didn't have any with the Nationals before he took over that club. The year before that, Alex Cora didn't. So I do think that we're at a different age here in which a manager doesn't need that experience. And there was a stretch of, I believe it was a 25-year stretch, Michelle, where only two managers were in their first job that they won. It was uh, Ozzie Guillen in 2005 and Mike Socia in 2002. But over the course of something like a 25 or 30-year period, there were only two managers in their first job. Now it's completely gone the other way. This one, Randy, from Cottleville, Chris, from the 636. The last thing I wanted was Mo to be the manager of the Cardinals, but that just happened. I am overly disappointed. Well, that's the reality of the situation. Mo and his staff, it's not just John Mozeliak, but it's Mike Gersh and the analytics staff. They drive the bus here, and that's the way it happens with the Dodgers. That's the way it happens with the Giants. That's the way it happens with the Rays. That's as... John Mozilla calls it, that's modern baseball. That's just the way it is. And it didn't matter who got the job, whether it was Stubby Clapp or Skip Schumacher or Matt Holliday, the driving force in terms of putting together lineups for the Cardinals was going to be the front office. And it didn't matter who got that job. How about this one, Randy, from the 630? I think it's unfortunate that Ali Marmol has been put in such a high-pressure situation, and I blame it on Mo. Marmol's not going to be afforded the learning excuses. No, he's not. But again, that he really is, I believe, it's going to be more of a paint-by-numbers situation. Now, he is going to be charged with leading that clubhouse and trying to get players to play hard for six months. But he's been given a group that really does try hard, that's highly competitive. So I don't think that should be an issue. Joe Torre had that when he had A-Rod, and you had to try to mesh A-Rod with... Uh, with Derek Jeter and that group that had won so much before A-Rod got there. I don't think that Ali Marmol has those issues to deal with with the Cardinals. I, I believe, and I might be wrong here, but I believe that the leadership of people like Goldschmidt, Arenado, Molina, Wainwright kind of fill in for what the old school manager, the leader manager was. And not only that, Randy, they see what we see. They they see it better than yeah. we see it because they were in there every day. They see the trends in baseball, and they know that analytics are king now and that this is the direction that the Cardinals want to go and that the influence from the front office and most of these decisions is going to be very vast. They get it. Yeah, there's no doubt that 
the players have a better gauge on this than anybody else. And if they're going to roll their eyes at anybody, it shouldn't be Ali Marmol for taking out a pitcher who's rolling just because he's facing a lineup for the third time. The eye roll should be up at the group of front office people in the analytics box that make that determination. It's not... No logical manager is going to have a pitcher who's allowed one run on four hits through five and a third that's about to face a lineup for the third time. No logical manager is going to take that guy out. The numbers people are the ones that determine that you just can't do that and be effective. Well, it's been shown. Look at this postseason. Nobody's thrown more innings on average as a starting rotation than the Atlanta Braves. And there they are in the World Series. So there is something to be said for doing it the way that it was done for 125, 135 years. From the 816, the frustrating part of this is that we all know the Cardinals need a new voice from outside the organization. But instead, Mo will once again try to prove that he's the smartest in the room. I don't believe that even if there were a new voice from out the, outside the organization, let's just think of a name. If that person would have been Jace Tingler, who just got fired by the Mariners, and it has a great pedigree, was with the Rangers, and has been with really good winning people. But whoever that person was, was going to be working at the pleasure of the front office. I don't think it mattered, Michelle. Do you, the, if wherever the, the manager came from, I don't think it mattered. That person's working at the pleasure of the front office. I think so. And I think we all know that. Um, and this is an interesting point to that, Randy. From the 217, if the decisions are coming straight from Mo, then he should be the one to answer to the media after losses. Agreed? Agreed. Yes, absolutely. But there is no admission to that by the front office. We know that they're doing it. It's, it's kind of like cats. You know they're doing it. You just never see it. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, there's absolutely should be a level of accountability to the media, i.e., uh, a.k.a. the fans, because we're the conduit to the fans. Uh, yeah, there should be a level of accountability for whoever is making the moves. All right, one more, Randy, from the 618. This could be strike three for Mo. Three consecutive managers without much, if any, managerial experience. This franchise continues to go the mediocre route, and it's sad. We will see if that's the case. And by the way, as much as as much disdain as I have for this, and I, I am a, a proponent of going more old school like Atlanta, I don't think the Cardinals have been mediocre. Now, did they spend most of this year being mediocre? Yes. But I, I tweeted, Michelle, uh, right before the or right after the Cardinals had clinched. The Cardinals, since 2010, since the end of the 2010 season, they have played five regular season games in which they didn't have a chance to make the playoffs. In 11 years, they've played five regular season games where they didn't have a chance to make the playoffs. That is ridiculously good. That is well beyond mediocre. That is a dream scenario for many other franchises, but the standards in St. Louis are different. Fans do not want to show up to see a team that they simply think might win the division or might get to the playoffs. They want to see a team that they feel has a chance to win a championship. Right. And 
before this last season started, I thought they did have a chance. Now, a lot of things happened negatively for them, and hopefully they'll build a team in 2022 that we think has a chance to win a championship as well. That's today's Fresh Take. We'll hear more from you coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Next up, though, the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joins us in the Blues booth on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, and Chris Kerber is standing by, the voice of the Blues, who are 4-0. and Look for their fifth win tonight here on 101 ESPN. Pre-game at 6, action at 7, a back-to-back with the Kings. Kerbs, good morning. How are you doing? Randy, I'm awesome. How are you? Everything's good. Okay, you have been doing the Blues games for the better part of two decades. We got the question earlier, and I want to get your take on this. Is this the deepest group of Blues forwards in franchise history? Boy, that's a good question there. Um, In franchise history... I don't know those those early teams. You know when you were picking from an original, uh, you know six franchises. Those things are pretty deep. I, I can tell you, I really do think from top to bottom, skill wise, it, it's as deep as any team that I have been a part of in, in the last you know at twenty one, twenty two years. So I would. They, they, it is kind of amazing. I mean, just about any line can play defensively responsible against any other line in the league, and and at the same time, uh, they're a threat to score and. Um, yeah, I, it, it would definitely have to go down as one of them without a shred of doubt, ATM, or Randy, because I'm telling you, it's just a uh, – uh, when, when you can have two of your top six forwards out of the lineup like the Blues did in the home opener, and you're replacing them with a Kyle Clifford and a James Neal who are on the outside looking in, that, I mean, that, that, that's something that's just flat-out amazing, really. And you're doing it because some of those young guys are playing well enough that, that they're able to stay in the lineup and play in important roles, too. So, yeah, this team is really, really deep up front. Curbs, obviously an unbelievable start to the Blues winning four straight games. They're getting contributions from everyone on the team. But as you've watched this team so far, what's one area within the team that you would like to see some improvement or you think that they can still grow? Uh. You know what? They've had such a really good start. I think one area is in – and this is more of a, maybe a characteristic thing, and maybe it's a, a natural thing that happens, but they've got the ability to score. And, and as long as they continue to stay on that role, they're going to get some leads on some teams. And I, and I think one thing you'd like to see is make sure that if you do get leads on teams, especially earlier in the game or in the first half of a game, that you're able to keep the foot on the gas pedal and keep it going, not let them climb back in. Not let, for example, you know the, the L.A. Kings get the two goals that they got in the third period in that last game to make it a three-goal game, which could have become two, and then things get a little hairy, right? So if there's any one thing that I think uh, from an early season standpoint we've seen, we've seen that happen now I'd say three times, and there's been four games, right? So that's, that's not a trend you like. So I, I think that is something that uh, is definitely can be worked on because when you've got the ability to, to put a team at bay, You've scored a few goals on them. You've got them down two or three. You don't want to let them back in the game, and and, and that's something that I think they're going to continue to work on. Curbs, is the fact that David Perron is playing the best hockey of his career a product of his surroundings, i.e. coach and players that he's playing with, or is he better than he's ever been? 
Well, I think it's a, a kind of a, a mix of all that. I think it's the maturity of a person. Uh, you know, I mean, pretty amazing to think we saw him as a 19-year-old. Now you talk to him as a dad, right? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, and, and then it's it, it's who he's playing with. Uh, that, that's a real big piece of this. He and Ryan O'Reilly really complement each other, not just with their skill on the ice, but with their hockey IQ. But even look at those two power play goals that were scored. Uh, and, and look at just the slight difference of where he was on the ice. You, you could see Peterson cheating over that way, knowing he was going to get a one-timer. He dropped a little bit lower, made the angle even that much tougher. But then you had Vladimir Tarasenko that was able to freeze everybody because they thought he was going to shoot it. And then he dished it off to the side for that shot. So I think part of it is clearly, obviously, who he's playing with and the, and the depth of this team. But there, there's just, I think he has hit that point in his career where he can do what he wants on the ice, where the game is slowed down around him and he just can make things happen where you're not even thinking about it and, and it clicks. And it's a pretty cool moment when that happens, obviously, for a player uh, as, as you have found that next level. So um, I, I would be disingenuous to not to credit, I think, the teammates around him for some of his success because this team is that good. But uh, clearly for him, it, it's, it's just a comfort level on the ice that knows that uh, at his age, at his time, that this is his time, and he can pretty much take it to anybody he wants to. And it's difficult because we, we just don't see it a lot. We see Ovechkin. We saw Mike Hoffman last year. It's difficult to be successful with that one-timer. Al McKinnis might have been the best ever with the one-timer. But that's one thing that Perron does better than any of his teammates is on the power play, they set him up for that one-timer, and boom, it's past the goalie. You know what, and, and other goals get scored that way too, not just even on the power play. Mm-hmm. And, and Joe and I, Randy, were talking about that uh, d- during the broadcast the other night. It, in today's National Hockey League, team scoutings are so, of, of the other team is so good. Uh, the players are so smart defensively. Where they put the sticks, the, the, the little nuances that could be the difference in a puck deflecting into the glass or out of play or going underneath the bar. And one of the ways to beat that is obviously just the speed the one-time touch of a puck over to somebody and then a one-timer. And it just, it, it just makes it impossible for the other team to react. So if you are going to have to score goals and create some havoc with one-time shots. And he may have the best one-timer on the team in terms of timing, uh, where he can put it, and knowing how to use it uh, right now. So, yeah, a year ago you might have looked at Mike Kaufman and we did. And, my goodness, was that just a, an absolute laser that he had. But I think with him not here, David Perron moves to the top of that list. And a one-timer has to be a weapon, and, and, and he's got it to use. Curbs, another facet of this team that's looked strong is uh, the power play. The special teams have been great. What's the difference that you're seeing so far with special teams on the Blues this season? Uh, I think one, th- one thing is the personnel. I think the players have credited the, the personnel aspect of that. Uh, you know, just being able to roll out the same units and get that understanding going, which is good. But the other, th- the other thing is a little bit of decisiveness. That first power play the other night against the LA Kings was non-existent. I mean, it wasn't very good at all. And then they just they got back to moving the puck around. And then, as we just talked about, that one-timer from David Perron. Quick decisions with the puck, the threats. And, and one of the things that they can do on the power play is they have found a way to use the seam pass to Ryan O'Reilly. They found the way that if they get the puck down low, jam it from the net, and they become a threat from different areas on the ice, which makes it harder to defend in, in, in those situations. On the penalty kill, they just have a lot of really good, smart players, and they are deep on the penalty kill. The pairings up front they could use, the quality of defensemen that they've got. 
you know, and so the, the special teams is good. And what it really does, Michelle, is this. When your power play, I guarantee you, when your power play was firing like it was the other night, L.A. doesn't want to take a penalty tonight. What does that do? Well, that kind of impacts your level of aggressiveness on the ice, and it works the other way. If you're the St. Louis Blues and your penalty killing is really going, I'm not saying you're taking dumb penalties, but you're going to be a little more willing to go in aggressively because you know that if you do end up getting whistled for something, there's a good chance your teammates are going to have your back. And, it, I mean, it is a real different team dynamic when those special teams are flying. Hey, Curbs, one last thing from me. When we were kids, if the Blues and Blackhawks played back-to-back, you knew that there was going to be probably a fight in the first game, and if not, definitely a fight in the second game. Now the Blues and Kings play back-to-back here. And heck, last year the Blues and the uh, the Coyotes played seven in a row, and I, we might have had one fight in those seven games. That's how the game has changed. It, it could be any other team tonight. The Kings will come out and they'll be fired up, but we aren't going to have the the physical. We aren't going to have the fights that we had twenty, thirty years ago. It back to back don't really change much, do they? In, in this day and age, age, the way the game is played. No, and Barry Melrose talked about this the other night on one of his shows, too. And and, and the reason is the the way, like, part of the difference is, Randy, is these points feel so important, don't they? I mean, even even though it's only game five, Mm -hmm. you feel like, and it's been this way for quite a while now, where you feel like every single game has so much weight on it. And I've talked to players about this in, in the regular season. They go, they say, yeah, a lot of regular season games you go into, and it almost feels like it's the playoffs because, you, know, you you don't want to give up those points, and and that's been emphasized. So, you know, more importantly than just getting back physically, and then we we've seen that happen. I mean, we've seen teams with longbow shoot. We saw Braden Shen do with Azim Kadri, right? I mean, there is a way to <laughs> yeah. still play that way and and have a part. But uh, but all, all in all, what uh, what we were used to growing up and years ago watching watching this sport, that's that's not the same. And and the flip side of that too is. Look at, as we talked about, the depth of this team, Randy, and, and there's a difference. It used to be you'd have a player that might play two and a half minutes a game, and that was his role, right? And now you have fourth liners playing nine, ten minutes a game and chipping in with scoring, and it seems that if you're going to win a Stanley Cup championship, you need that from a third and a fourth line uh, these days. So it has been the change of the game, but I think that's because so many teams have, have, have gotten so good and the parity in this league is good that you you need the players on the ice. And if you're going to beat them now, you got to beat them on the scoreboard, much less uh, with, with the fisticuffs. Curbs, always good to talk to you. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. And uh, we will be tuned in tonight at 6 with the pregame. That'll be fun. Have an awesome week, you guys. Thanks again. You too. Thanks, Curbs. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues on 101 ESPN. Oh, by the way, there's only one team in the National Hockey League with a better goals differential than the Blues, plus 11. That's the Panthers, who are plus 13, and they've played five games. There are a host of teams at plus 11. Edmonton, Carolina is at plus 11. The Blues are at plus 11. The Penguins are at plus 11. But they're all tied, and only one team with a better point uh, goal differential than the blues plus 11 so far this season that's michelle i'm randy coming up we have the fight on 101 espn we're right back to the character and smallman podcast on 101 espn welcome to the fight on character and smallman
It's Kara Grimm's Moment here on 101 ESPN, and it is time for the fight. We are welcoming in Charlie today. Charlie's going to be Randy's competition this morning. Good morning, Charlie. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I am doing good. Are you ready to take on Randy? Ready as I'll ever be. All right, Charlie, let's jump right in. And I love this first question. Question number one, Jake Neighbors scored his first NHL goal on Saturday in the Blues home opener, and he got the assist from his landlord. Which blue does Jake Neighbors live with? Is it Robert Thomas, Braden Shen, or Marco Scandella? Braden Shen. All right. On this date in 1932, the Cardinals signed Rogers Hornsby as a free agent, marking his second stint as a Cardinal. Hornsby was waived halfway through the 1933 season and picked up by which team? Was it the Boston Braves, the Chicago Cubs, or the St. Louis Browns? The Boston Braves. Question number three for you, Charlie. Who is the only manager older than Dusty Baker to lead a team to the World Series? And for some context, Dusty Baker is 72 years, 133 days old. So who is the only manager that's older than Dusty Baker to lead a team to the World Series? Is it Jack McKeon, Connie Mack, or Casey Stengel? I got to go with Jack McKeon. And the Braves are back in the World Series for the first time since 1999. Who was named World Series MVP the last time they won the Fall Classic back in 1995? Was it Tom Glavin, David Justice, or Chipper Jones? Oh, man. Um, can you give me the choices again? Absolutely. Your options are Tom Glavin, David Justice, Chipper Jones. Oh, let's go with Chipper Jones. Okay, we're checking our score here as Randy gets back into the studio. And Charlie, how are you feeling? Uh, not great. Not great. Is there any question in particular that you felt tripped up on? Uh, the last one, Chipper Jones. Yeah, that was a good question. That was a good question, Emily. All right, Randy is getting set up. He's putting his headphones in. Randy, please say good morning to Charlie. Charlie, good morning. How are you doing? I'm well, Randy. How are you, buddy? Terrific. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We appreciate it. All right, thanks. Question num- number one for you, Randy. Jake Neighbors scored his first NHL goal on Saturday in the Blues home opener. He got the assist from his landlord. Which blue does Jake Neighbors live with? Braden Shen. On this day in 1932, the Cardinals signed Rogers Hornsby as a free agent, marking his second stint as a Cardinal. Hornsby was waived halfway through the 1933 season and picked up by which team? I'll go with... He was originally sent to the Giants in the trade um, for Frankie Frisch. And I'm going to... I'll go... I think he's been his entire career in the National League. Um, I'll do the lifeline here. Is it the Boston Braves, Chicago Cubs, or St. Louis Browns? Okay, I'll go with the uh, Brownies. Forgot about them. Um, yeah, I'll go Brownies for fun. Question number three, Randy. Who is the only manager older than Dusty Baker who set 72 years, 133 days old, to lead a team to the World Series? Who's the only manager older than Dusty Baker to lead a team to the World Series? I believe that was in 2003, Jack McKeon of the Marlins. 
And the Braves are back in the World Series for the first time since 1999. Who was named World Series MVP the last time they won the Fall Classic back in 1995? 1995 World Series MVP. Um, for some reason, Glavin holding up a trophy seems to be stuck in my mind. They did not have a great outfield at that time. Obviously, they had Chipper. Um, but I'm going to go with Tom Glavin. Was it Charlie or was it Randy on this Monday morning? Emily, let him know. That was Randy. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions. Providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. Charlie, you knew it right away. Yeah, well, also when he said the Browns, I, Rogers Hornsby was with the Braves in between after the first time he left the Cardinals. So, Yeah, Randy was correct with that. He beat you, Charlie. I'm so sorry. Four to two, four to two. So Jake Neighbors scored his first NHL goal on Saturday in the Blues home opener. He got the assist from his landlord. He lives with Braden Shen. Hornsby, Rogers Hornsby, was waived halfway through the 1993 season, and he was picked up by the St. Louis Browns. The only manager older than Dusty Baker to lead a team to the World Series was, in fact, Jack McKeon. 72 years, 329 days old, was the 2003 Marlins, and the World Series MVP the last time the Braves won the Fall Classic, the World Series in 1999, excuse me, in 1995, was Tom Glavin. It was, in fact, Tom Glavin. Charlie, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for playing. Have a great day. You guys, too. Have a great week. You, too. Thank you. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up, week seven in the NFL, four downs from Sunday. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Week seven in the NFL. Time for four downs with Character and Smallman. First down. Michelle, we saw a Super Bowl loss hangover here in St. Louis in 2002, and it looks for all the world like the Kansas City Chiefs are dealing with the same thing. They're 3-4 and four now, and yesterday in Tennessee, the Titans routed them 27-3 in a lifeless performance for Andy Reid's club. KC won their opener over Cleveland, and since then, their wins are against the Eagles and the football team. The defense is allowing 29 points a game. The only teams allowing more, the Jets, the Falcons, the Dolphins, and Washington. Patrick Mahomes is tied with Jets rookie Zach Wilson for the most interceptions in the league. And the defense, if nothing else, is consistent. Overall, they're fifth worst. Their rush defense is sixth worst. And their pass defense is seventh worst. These Chiefs, Michelle, feel like the 2002 Rams to me. Yeah, Steve Spagnuolo, Randy, not in a great spot right now. No, he doesn't have players. Just doesn't have players. It's terrible. Second down. Well, earlier this week, there were rumors about Deshaun Watson and his future. A lot of rumors connected Deshaun Watson to the Miami Dolphins. But some other rumors, Randy, connected Deshaun Watson to the Carolina Panthers. And their head coach, Matt Rule, came out and said, not true. I bought in on Sam Darnold as my quarterback. Here's the exact quote. He said, I believe Sam is going to be a great quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, and I haven't done any work on anyone else. He's my focus, and I expect him to play his best football moving forward. I'm not looking anywhere else. Well, he looked somewhere else because in the fourth quarter of the Panthers-Giants game yesterday, Sam Darnold was benched. 
He was benched in favor of backup P.J. Walker. He had an intentional grounding penalty from the end zone in the first half that resulted in a safety. He had an interception on a really bad throw. It was his seventh interception in the past four games. This comes after he only threw three in Carolina's 3-0 start. That loss yesterday to the Giants 25-3 at MetLife Stadium, which, as we know, is where Sam Darnold used to play. It's, <laughs> it's the stage for a lot of his low moments as a quarterback. But it dropped the Panthers to 3-4, and four, and you have to wonder right now about Sam Darnold's future in Carolina. No doubt about it. And especially when you look at the teams that they won against early, they beat the Jets. Everybody beats the Jets. <laughs> they beat the Saints at home when the Saints were missing a bunch of guys. And then they went to Houston and beat the Texans. They play real teams like the Cowboys or the Vikings, and they struggle, and they've lost to the Giants and Eagles as well. So, yeah, you have to wonder about Sam Darnold. And if they have the draft capital to go get Deshaun Watson, who I don't think he's a good fit anywhere, but at least from a football perspective, he would seem to be a good fit in Carolina. I don't know if I want him on my team, but at least from a football perspective. <laughs> right. Third down. Well, Michelle, you had to wonder what would become of the Raiders after John Gruden resigned as a result of the Washington football team email scandal. Well, since Rich Bisaccia took over a couple of games ago, Vegas is 2-0, and they've scored 34 and 33 points. Derek Carr under Bisaccia, 49 of 61 for 664 yards and four touchdowns. Yesterday against Philly, they were up 30-7 to heading into the fourth quarter. The week before in Bisaccia's first game, they were up on Denver 31-10 after three. So the only real points they've allowed under Bisaccia have come in garbage time. Vegas is 5-2. and two. They have a bye next week before a trip to New York against the Giants and then a home game with KC on the horizon. We'll see if they're real when they face the Bengals and Cowboys in the last two weekends of November. But they have seem to have no problem moving on from John Gruden. We see this a lot with interim coaches, Randy, where a team will have a little bit of a, a boost and we see some immediate success. But I wonder if he's the guy long term. I don't know if he is, but I will say this. That team had lost two in a row under Gruden, and now they've won two in a row under Basaccia. And granted, they haven't beat the best teams in the league, but they have the same staff. And Derek Carr, the, the play calling is leading to him having a great deal of success. He's play, And not that he played poorly under John Gruden, because he did play really well, but he's playing at a higher level in the last two weeks than he's ever played at. Fourth down. Well, Randy, for fourth down, a game that you and I were very invested in, the revenge game. We saw Jared Goff's return to face the team that ditched him as the Lions took on the Rams yesterday. Yes, Matthew Stafford was playing his old team as well, but that was more of a Shawshank, I broke free situation. <laughs> so I'm not putting it in the same category as Jared Goff in the revenge story. Jay Glazer actually had an interesting report leading up to the game that when McVay called Goff to break the news about the trade, Jared Goff hung up on him. They later met at a restaurant, just happened to be at the same restaurant and they exchanged some pleasantries so it seems like they're on better terms but clearly Jared Goff not pleased with his former coach and he had the opportunity to make a statement to McVay and to LA yesterday and he almost pulled it off he passed for 268 yards and the Lions almost pulled up off the upset the Rams were up 25-19 Jared Goff drove the Lions to the Rams 12 he converted four third downs in the process but Jalen Ramsey he made an end zone interception with five minutes left Goff was hit by Aaron Donald and the dream died for us Randy for you <laughs> myself and Jared Goff as the Rams secured the 28 to 19 victory over the Lions who are still winless Detroit is still winless 
could be 0-16. They certainly have the ability to do that. And that was their Super Bowl. I mean, they get the ball first and they go down and score. Then they try an onside kick and they recover it. They go, they after three plays they're set up to punt and they run a fake punt on their second series in the first quarter they did everything they could to discombobulate the Rams and it actually worked and they had them for a while unfortunately talent took over at the end of the game and the Rams were able to pull away for the victory but it was really an interesting approach for Dan Campbell, and I think that was their Super Bowl. I think that was Jerry Goff and Dan Campbell's Super Bowl, and I would not be surprised, Michelle, if they wind up going 0-16. They did everything they could yesterday. They really did, and watching that game in the first half, I thought, they're going to pull this off. They're going to upset mm-hmm. the Rams. They're really going to do it, but not so much. No. Hey, one other note, uh, a Colorado fifth down here. Carson Wentz is actually playing really well for Indy. Now, last night, you look at the numbers, you say "Eh, 17 of 26 for 150 and a couple of touchdowns, no interceptions. Two keys here. Number one, it happened in a driving rainstorm. It was pouring in the Bay Area. And number two, no interceptions. That was one of the problems they had with him in Philadelphia. One of the other problems that they didn't recognize is that they didn't have anybody around him because there were only two players that played all of last season, Wentz and Jason Kelsey, their their center. He was surrounded by injured guys. Last night, the Colts get Quentin Nelson back. He plays well. They still don't have T.Y. Hilton. They're going to get players back, Michelle. And Indianapolis, three and four. They play Tennessee next week. Indianapolis in the second half of the season is going to be a force to be reckoned with. I'm convinced that the Frank Reich, Carson Wentz pairing is going to bear tons of fruit for the Colts. We need to get a breakdown from our friend Rick Venturi on yeah. the Colts coming up here. We will. Yeah, we'll do that. He loves talking about that team, and he really is a fan of Frank Reich. And he said the day they made the trade, he said, hey, this is going to work out for them. And they've got a really good, solid, balanced offense. They put the ball up 26 times last night, ran at 33. Jonathan Taylor, 107 yards on the ground. Their defense is great. It's going to be a pretty good team and actually a pretty fun team. It's actually a closer drive for me. It's three hours away to get to Lucas Oil Stadium and three and a half to get to Kansas City's Arrowhead Stadium. So if I want to go see a game, the closest one for me is Indy, so I hope they wind up being good. Maybe I'll go see him. Just go see Coach sometime. Yeah, you should. Yeah, absolutely. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's Four Downs on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we are a little over an hour away from the Cardinals' introduction of Oliver Marmol as their new manager. What do you think of this selection? We'll take your mic drops and get your texts next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us. And Michelle, I forgot about the 17th NFL game. We get a texter, and we do appreciate the texter saying, don't forget about the 17th game for Detroit. They could be the first 0-17 team. Michelle, I think their chance to win is this coming weekend a home game against Philly. Okay, so after Philly, do you have that? Let's just assume they lose that game. Okay, I'll give you the rest of their schedule after their bye week. And you tell me win or loss, okay? At Pittsburgh. Loss. At Cleveland. Loss. Home against the Bears. Loss. Even though I think they they might have a chance those last two games. Okay. Uh, Home against Minnesota. Loss. At Denver. Loss. Home against Arizona. Definitely a loss. 
at Atlanta. Loss. At Seattle. Loss. Home against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. For sure a loss. They very easily could go 0-17. Does their performance versus the Rams yesterday give you any confidence that they could turn a corner? No, because I really think that was their game. There was so much emotion for Goff. They wanted to win it for Goff. They pulled out every single stop they could and still couldn't win it. Now, next week, against a much lesser team, they don't have any tricks left in the bag. They're going to have to play it straight. And if they play it straight, they can't win. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough spot. But, you know, some of those teams that you mentioned, I did have to pause for a second. Yeah, right. I think there are some, some vulnerable teams on that schedule, but I just don't know if I have enough confidence in the Lions to be able to beat them even with those vulnerabilities no. intact. I think the Bears at home, that's Thanksgiving. They're very competitive on Thanksgiving, so that could happen. And then I don't think much of the Falcons either, so I could see that one too. And there's yeah, I think always... they may fall into one. Yeah, they, that, that could happen. All right, uh, in about an hour, we are going to carry the Cardinal Press Conference live in which they introduced Oliver Marmol as their new manager. Your mic drops and texts to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Mic drop, by the way, brought to you by Rhino Shield. All you need to do is open up your 101 ESPN app, just click on that little mic drop portion of the screen on the lower left, I think. I haven't opened it up lately. But uh, yeah, just click on the mic drop and send us a mic drop. And let's go to John, who's got a mic drop for us on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Randy. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Emily. I think that Marmol can be a great Cardinal manager. I think he has it in him. I think he's been taught by some of the very best. I have two questions. The first one was, was this a Dick Vermeil, Mike March situation where they didn't want Marmol to get away? And the second one, how will he handle Yadier Molina and giving him rest in September and August when games count and the Cardinals are in the playoff hunt, but Molina needs a break? How will Marmol handle that? All right, uh, Michelle, I have heard that speculation. Was this a Martz Vermeil situation? I kind of think if it were that somebody else, if somebody else really thought that highly of Oliver Marmol, who, by the way, doesn't have any experience managing at the major league level, I would have thought the Cardinals would have just fired Schilt and hired Oliver Marmol on the same day. And they could have said... They, they wouldn't have, but they could have. They could have intimated that somebody was coming after Marmol. That was one of the reasons that they promoted John Mozalock, because he was the general manager. Somebody was coming after him as their pobo, and that's how he wound up as the pobo, and Gersh wound up as the GM. Uh, the other part of this is, yes, he has been taught by the best, and I think he's going to have to use great people skills to deal with Yachty in the situation that John talks about. I think that that is an interesting line of thinking to think that someone might have really wanted to come after Oliver Marmol. And that's why the Cardinals acted with such urgency, because I think that's why we're all what we're all still wondering is why the urgency to make this move, whether it was to give Mike Schilt a better position to interview for another managerial spot or it's because you really wanted to secure your guy. But it seems like they made this move knowing that Oliver Marmol was going to be the next manager. So 
I, I get that, that they might have wanted to to lock him up ASAP. And as far as the Yadier Molina situation goes, yeah, that's always going to be a tough spot. But again, we mentioned in, in, the, in the first hour of the show, I wonder if Yadier's approach is going to be different this season, knowing that it's probably his last year. Um, maybe that intensifies things. Maybe he wants to play even more, knowing mm-hmm. that the, the sand is running out of the hourglass and that his time in baseball is very finite and he wants to play every game that he can. But the approach for Oliver Marmol is going to have to be the same that Mike Schilt had or Mike Matheny had. We need to rest you because we need you down the stretch. We're resting you because of your importance to this club. By the way, one other point about other teams. I can't think, and I feel like I'm a pretty observant Cardinal fan. I can't think of anything that he's done outwardly that makes me think that he is a hot candidate. It's not like the Cardinals won a World Series or a playoff series. I guess they did win the the Braves playoff series a few years ago. But it doesn't seem like Oliver Marmol was doing electrifying things and wasn't really one of the names. When people talk about hot managerial candidates, it doesn't seem like he was one of those names that was brought up. It's not like Jose Okendo, where you heard Jose Okendo's name mentioned in almost every managerial opening position. We all assumed Jose Okendo would get that shot. You're right. I I would just assume that we would have heard Oliver Marmol be connected to more more openings. But maybe we didn't really get that opportunity because of the timing Mm -hmm. of everything. They weren't necessarily expecting... Oliver Marmol to have an opportunity for this Cardinal job because not a lot of people were expecting Mike Schilt to be fired and maybe had it been after the World Series we would have and Mike Schilt would still be in in his position here in St. Louis we would have heard his name connected to other jobs your next Rhino Shield mic drop is Michael you know I think part of the reason that Mike Schilt was quote unquote fired is because I think there's such a high regard for who Ali Marmol is. We'd constantly heard about him being snatched away by another team and that he was on the leading edge of, you know, what somebody who was into, um, you know, statistics and sabermetrics is into. I believe that this was partly a move to ensure that we kept Marmol at the expense of somebody like Schilt. And if that's the case, I'm for it because we get to keep, you know, we get to prevent some of the brain drain that, you know, we constantly talk about with the Cardinals, uh, you know, uh, trust. But man, oh man, Mo better be right about this one. He better be right. If it was at the expense of Schilt to get to keep somebody like Marmol, I hope it works. I'm rooting for him, but man, it better work. Yeah, it's. I get the idea, but to get rid of a manager who has worked through the whole COVID thing of 2020 and has made the playoffs three consecutive years, so because you like a guy who has never managed in the major leagues, that seems to me like a pretty disingenuous approach to take. Well, and that's not what they said when they 
announced that they were parting ways with Mike Schilt. It was about the philosophical differences, seemingly, between the two parties. Oliver Marmol's name was never mentioned, and, and maybe they give us more insight into that today. Maybe when they announce him as the manager, they do reveal that he had been held in such high regard, and the thought of losing him to another organization was part of the reason that they made this move when they did. But as to this point, that's not something that has been shared with any of us, that Oliver Marmol and the desperation factor to keep him in-house is part of the reason they made this move. And one quick uh, text here. I don't like this hire. It just feels like the path of least resistance. I really feel like this brain trust could use some fresh thoughts from outside of the organization. And there's talk, Michelle, of bringing in a coach from outside the organization to provide some of those fresh thoughts. But... I don't know that at this stage, those outside thoughts are something that the Cardinals feel like they need. I I think they do, but I don't think that they feel like they need to do anything because they have had success in winning games, if not championships, in winning games over the last decade. It seems like everything we're seeing is trending the opposite, that they don't want outside thoughts, that they want to have one linear thought process throughout the entire organization, and that they want every person within that straight line to be pulling the rope the same way. So I don't know why they would want to, at this point, introduce someone from the outside to bring in uh, conflicting thoughts, because it seems like that's the opposite of what they're trying to do. They don't want conflicting thoughts. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. The 2021 World Series starts tomorrow night in Atlanta. Or is it in Houston? Wherever they play. Joe Buck is going to be there and calling it for Fox, and he's going to join us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. And it's always fun to participate in. You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, we've had a ton to talk about today. NFL Sunday. We have to talk about the Blues. Exciting 4-0 start. The Cardinals naming a new manager. But perhaps the most exciting moment of the weekend for me came on College Football Saturday with Illinois playing 7th ranked Penn State. And Illinois going into this game, not a lot of people gave them a great shot. And they got into an early 10-0 deficit to the Nittany Lions. But Illinois battled back they ran all over Penn State. Chase Brown, Josh McCray had an unbelievable day, combined 365 rushing yards and a touchdown. They actually outran the Nittany Lions 370 yards to 207 yards in regulation. They had some touchdowns called back. And Randy, Illinois ended up tying the game at 10 in regulation, and this was an epic battle, an unprecedented battle. It was the NCAA's first nine-overtime game. Illinois and, and Penn State battled back and forth, back and forth. It feels like no one wanted to win the game. There was a quarterback change for Illinois. Art Sikowski was out, but finally, Randy, finally it ended. This to win it for Illinois. Brandon Peters, a quarterback. Rolls out into the end zone. It is caught. Casey Washington's got it. Illinois pulled off the upset. It took nine overtimes. And Casey Washington catches the game winner from Brandon Peters. And Illinois has pulled off the road upset. A lot of emotion, as you can imagine, from the Fighting Illini after the big upset. Casey Washington talked after the game about catching that winning touchdown. Honestly, 
I've never been in a position like that. So, I mean, the first thing that came to me, I actually cried. It just, it just felt good. And my team, they stood behind me no matter what. And we did it. A huge, huge upset for Illinois, Randy. And Brett Bielma has that that one moment in his first season. You know whenever you take over a program, it's going to be a lot of work. You're going to have to start building something. But to get this big upset in his first season gives Illinois a galvanizing moment. And there are moments for all programs where you turn the corner and there is a watershed moment. Gary Pinkle and Mizzou had one against Nebraska at Faroe Field back in the early 2000s. To me, this felt like a watershed moment for Bielma. Like, okay, the players have bought in. It's happening now. And it's kind of a a corner-turning moment for the program. Not that they're all of a sudden going to turn great, but now you know what it can be. And as he recruits more and gets more talent into the system, you know what they're capable of. I thought that was just a magnificent and a huge win for the Illini. And Randy, I was in college when Illinois upset upset number one, Ohio State. And I'll never forget my friends on the football team coming back to Champaign and the party that awaited them. I can't imagine. I know that Coach Bielman and some of the football staff went to uh, the the basketball game. I, I just know how exciting that was for them to come back to Champaign. They probably got a hero's welcome. For a program that doesn't win a lot, when you have a big upset like that, it's a really big deal. Yeah, and to have it happen in the first year, I mentioned the, the Pinkle victory over Nebraska. That was in his third year. Normally, when a program's been down as long as Illinois has, you don't have that win for a few years. So, uh, a big deal for the Illini, and congratulations. I can, there, there's, you're kind of misty-eyed. I, I mean, Casey Washington was crying, so was I, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> it was a big day for all of us. You're killing me, Smalls. So we just talked to Joe Buck about Jack Peterson and his pearl necklace that he's been sporting during these playoffs. And I don't know, Randy, if you saw after they clinched to go into the World Series, Jack Peterson not celebrating with his teammates drinking a beer. Jack Peterson actually brought out a glass of wine to the field for he and his wife to celebrate. He had an entire glass of red wine and he posted on his Instagram story that it was actually a very special wine, a $575 bottle of wine. It was a Bryant family vineyard proprietary blend and Jack just knows what he likes whether it's a pearl necklace that he wants to sport or he wants a very beautiful red to celebrate a trip to the World Series Jack's gonna do what he wants to do he's kind of a member of the finer things club isn't he (laughs) So he goes out, probably just had his pinky sticking out when he wore it because he wanted to be fancy. So when he was holding the wine glass, probably just had the pinky sticking out and wearing his pearl necklace, of course. He's just a a finer things kind of guy. I appreciate that. He likes what he likes. (laughs) Right. So and uh, I I know Joe rolled his eyes and I kind of roll my eyes at it, too. But. The public and uh, some media will make that a storyline during the World Series, won't they? The people that have not already heard about how it came about when he walks to the plate tomorrow night before a lot of people with a pearl necklace around his neck, people say, what the hell? So I I think it'll be a storyline. And I imagine a lot of vineyards wanting to send Jack Peterson some wine in case they win the World Series to celebrate with. Yeah, no doubt about it. You're killing me, Smalls. Earlier in the show, Randy, we talked about Tom Brady getting to number 600. He went into week seven against the Bears, two touchdowns shy of number 600, and sure enough, he got it. Here's what it sounded like. Evans. 600, it is. Oh, that was the 600. Gotcha. 
never heard of 600 in anything in football, but Brady has it with a strike to Evans over the middle using his size. And how good is that 600, Jim? And Randy, that's a pretty important ball when you're the first player in NFL history to get to 600 touchdowns. I would imagine that's a keepsake that you might want to have, or maybe the Pro Football Hall of Fame would want to have it. Well, Mike Evans, the recipient of that touchdown, gives it away to the crowd. <laughs> he gives it away to a fan. They eventually negotiated. They, they were able to get it back. But the, the reaction of Mike Evans on the sideline, realizing that he had just <laughs> given away Tom Brady's 600 touchdown ball, was quite entertaining. And the person got another ball plus a thousand dollar gift card to the Buccaneers team store. So they wound up with a pretty good deal. And we talk about unbreakable records. I think this is an eminently breakable record. I think there will be multiple quarterbacks over the course of the next decade that will eclipse 600 touchdown passes. Just because of the way offense is in the yeah. NFL? Yeah, because of the way the game is. It's hard to imagine that Mahomes wouldn't get to 600. When you look at the early returns on Justin Herbert, you'd have to think that he has a shot at it. They just throw so many now. It's You throw 400 a year, you play, a, or 40 a year, you play a 12-year career, you're almost at 500 right there. So I, I think, and there will be guys that throw 50 or 60 in a season. I would think that we'll get to, we'll have a couple more. 500 or 600 uh, touchdown pass guys. Now becoming the all-time leader though is going to be quite challenging because the longer Tom Brady plays, the, the more the goalpost mm -hmm. moves. He could get to 700, Randy. You never know. No, there's no doubt about that. It'll be, when he's done, the record will be very, very difficult to break. Thanks, Michelle. And you got it. coming up next, we're going to cross things over with Dan McLaughlin, the Danny Mac Show featuring BK. Coming up at the top of the hour and the Cardinal Press Conference introducing the new manager, Oliver Marmol. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> The Danny Mac Show with BK coming up at the top of the hour. Before they start talking, though, the Cardinals will hold their press conference announcing that Oliver Marmol will be the 51st manager of the Redbirds. Dan here in studio to cross things over. And you know Oliver Marmol well. What did you think when you got word, apparently officially, that he will be the guy? Not surprised. You know, I think to me when you uh, keep the staff intact but get rid of the manager and, and their track record has been to promote with uh, – from within with their players, uh, certainly with Mike Schilt and now with Ollie, it, it's not a surprise. I think it really, for me, came down to Ollie or did you think Stubby Clap or is there somebody in the minor leagues that would step up because it, it just seemed like the, the easy, not the easy, but the, the trend that uh, they were going in was to promote uh, from within and, and so Ollie's the guy. It'll be interesting. I mean, he's 35, never managed at this level and the last three hires that John Mosellock has had, never managed in the major mm -hmm. leagues, which was Mike Matheny, Mike Schilt, now Ali, and uh, uh, very interested to hear what he has to say. He, he's well-spoken, good guy, um, and, you know, the bottom line is, though, it's a wins and loss business, so he'll be evaluated on wins and losses. Not everything, but a lot of it, it's wins and losses, and uh, we'll see what happens. Well, and, Dan, you look at 
the the Washington Nationals. They fired Dusty after a 97-win season. They thought that they had maxed out. And in Dave Martinez's second season, he wins the World Series. Alex Cora, in his first year with the Red Sox, a traditionally strong organization, first managerial job, he wins the World Series. And my expectation would be that the Cardinals put this guy in place with the idea that they're going to win a World Series in 22 or 23. Yeah, and, and your window is getting... Not shorter or closing, but you're in the primes of the careers of Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. Looks like your your outfield is primed to, to be there for a while and, and do some damage. It's the final year. I think one of the fascinating things is managing the final year of the, the contracts with Yadier Molina and potentially Adam Wainwright. That'll be fascinating to see how that unfolds and, uh, and to see what this team does in the offseason in terms of what they want to spend to fill whatever holes they perceive with their line up in their roster to make this a uh, a championship club. Do you have a gauge because you're around the club we aren't as to what sort of respect a guy like Oliver Marmol commands within that clubhouse specifically with the older players? Well, I think the question Randy to me would be, you know, when you're a bench coach a lot of times you're the ear that the the player will lean on when he's questioning um the manager or mm-hmm. playing time or or that kind of thing. And so now that you're the guy, it's a different role. You know what I mean? Those relationships, not that they are um, severed, um, because that's not the case. It's just a different role. You're the guy. You've got to make the tough pitching change. You've got to tell the, the player that's struggling you're going to sit. Those things can be uncomfortable, so um, that's where I'm interested in seeing. You know what I mean? It's it's the mm-hmm. command. I mean, he'll go in, and, and these guys are professionals. They're gonna they'll play the game. They and I would assume play the game hard for Ali and for the organization and themselves. But how you handle those tough conversations, um, and that's really a an important part of this job. It's the media. It's managing the game, but also it's relationships and how you handle the tough conversations. I mean, some of these guys are going to be older than him. Right. That he's going to be managing. And that's kind of a dynamic that, that I think is unique uh, to this situation of, of just trying to manage players that are in the final year of their deal and uh, players that uh, are older. I thought it was interesting in the NL, D, whenever the Dodgers started Canable for the first time, I don't know if it was in the DS or the, the uh, NLCS, but... Dave Roberts explained how it all came about, that the front office wanted to do it. They came and talked to him. He talked to his coaches. They all went in and talked to the players. They talked to Scherzer. They talked to Kershaw. They talked to Turner. They talked to the leaders of the team and said, okay, what do you think of Knable being an opener for us? And the players were on board with it. But it really has become, in baseball, a collaborative effort for or, for organizations like this. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and that's part of the, the new advent of baseball and in dealing with the front office and uh and and having a a full collaboration um from those at the top to those in uniform and trying to get the message out and that's what you're going to have with ali i I mean ali's a very good people person i I can tell you that um i've never seen him manage except when mike schilt was ejected out of games um and and so I, I do think the players respect him. I don't think that's going to be a problem. It's just going to be, you know, managing all of it. I mean, it, it's it, it's a it's a big undertaking, man. I mean, from the media every day. I mean, you don't. I, I don't think if you're in that seat, you realize it. You watch it. Like if you're Ollie, you're watching Mike Schild, and you're in the meetings and you're seeing all that. But then when you're the guy, it's on your shoulders. 
and your name's associated as the manager and you're the guy that people are upset with when you make a move or you get no credit when you make a great move. Um, just dealing with that, the pressures of the everyday grind that is a major league season and being essentially the CEO and of the face of the franchise when you're connecting with the media every day, which is the conduit to the fans. Um, it's a great you know, responsibility. So I, I just think there's a lot of things that you'll get hit with that, uh, not to say that he's not prepared, but I don't know how you can ever feel like you're ready to do it if you haven't done it before. So that's something that he's going to have to uh, uh, adjust on the fly with, and I'm, I'm sure he'll be fine. I really do. We will have that press conference coming up here in just moments here on 101 ESPN. Looking forward to that. And I, I wonder, is BK asking any questions of Marmol? I, I don't know, but uh, yeah. let him rip, we'll have I to guess. see if we can make that happen. Yeah. I wonder when if Mike Schilk gets introduced somewhere, if BK will hop on. And... He has to. He has to. <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear Mike say, hello, BK. <laughs> How are job. you? <laughs> right. Have a great show. We'll be tuned in. All right. Thanks. Uh, we're gonna, by the way, we're going to carry the press conference in its entirety, and uh, it's supposed to start in four minutes. So. Right. We'll get to it. Okay. Uh, great job by our producer engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. And Michelle, this was terrific. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Talk to you tomorrow. And we'll do it again uh, for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.